This is episode 46 of Outlander Cast with Mary and Blake. I barely heard the fireworks. What would happen when Jamie found out that Blackjack Randall was alive? Would his need for vengeance eclipse our resolve to prevent the uprising? Should I even tell him? Even if I tried to keep that appalling news from him, in time he'd be sure to learn the truth. What then? All the way from Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to Outlander Cast. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. everyone and welcome. I'm your host, Mary Larson. My name is Blake and I've seen a lot of things in my day. Yeah. But I've never seen a swan nipple dress. Yeah. <laughs> I've just, I, I, I never had any expectations to see a swan nipple dress. I never thought that was something that was, you know, available. Yeah. And I'm not saying I, I didn't like it. I'm just saying, wow. You had crap. no idea. That, that was, uh, was that in the book? Yes. Wow, yeah. man. Holy crap. And major props to Terry and the rest of the costumers because that was quite the ordeal. Not only was it were there swans, but I don't know if you could tell, but her nipples were pierced with the swans. So they actually pierced this girl's nipples. I don't know if they actually pierced her nipples or if they used like prop Like piercings. fake nipples? No, not <laughs> fake nipples. I assume that they were her nipples. Wow. Did not expect this conversation to go this way. All right. Well, now that we have started this off so classily. Oh, yeah. We always, we always class up the joint, joint here in, that, uh, in Providence. Yeah, we do. I think it's time for some announcements. All right, let's do it. Wanted to make a uh, reminder to all of you who have taken a chance to send us a recent review and rating on iTunes that I'm going to send you a handwritten card in the mail. But you first need to email us at outlandercast at gmail.com and say, hey, Mary, I wrote you a review. This is my username on iTunes and here's my mailing address because otherwise all I see is your username and I do not know how to send you snail mail. (laughs) So just a reminder, if you have done a review, to send um, us an email and if you haven't done one yet this is a reason to do it head on over to itunes or stitcher and leave us a rating and review that's right and also we wanted to remind you too about the outlander cast blog and ashley's live blog of every single episode that will be happening for not only what we just saw but for the rest of the season as well what's important is that you go to the outlander cast blog check out ashley's uh, obviously the, the live blog there and you'll get a two screen experience you'll be able to watch the show as it happens but also get ashley's wonderful and witty and on like just just right commentary as things happen and uh, you'll be able to engage with her in the comments engage with other listeners in the comments and uh, see the brilliance that just flows out of this girl's mind. I, I I really don't know how 
I, I seriously, <laughs> like, it leaves me speechless how amazing she really does uh, at this show. Not I, only at, does at she the, do it, blog. but she does it live. Like, it's, like, on point. Whereas you and I use multiple editing uh, times right. to when we write things. If so. it was if it was us, we'd be like, oh, oh, wait, wait, go back. <laughs> do that again. I look at my notes, and it is not nearly as good. So she is really brilliant. So please make sure you go to Outlandercast blog every Saturday night at 9 p.m., and you will be able to follow Ashley's live blog and I also wanted to say thank you to all of the listeners this is not on the notes so uh, Mary does not see this yet I wanted to say thank you to all of you because you have made the premiere episode of season two for Outlander cast one of the most popular episodes we have ever done and it's all thanks to you guys downloading this in droves I mean I I I mean whatever I'm not going to go with the number but I'm just going to say that there was it was very popular and I wanted to say thank you so much for listening to us and inviting us into not only your homes or your smartphones, but your ear as well. Podcasts are very, very personal things. Um, you, you have our voices in your ear directly. Sounds creepy. It is creepy a little bit, <laughs> um, but I wanted to say thank you for that. It's, it's uh it's an honor. It's a pleasure. And you guys absolutely rock. Uh, but uh, what now for you, my love, do we have for the good, bad, and the great. The good, bad, great. So we started this new for this season. For not in Scotland anymore. Okay, not in Scotland anymore. My good was Murtaugh and everything that came out of his mouth. Not only just his mouth, but his facial expressions. I just love his humor. And I think we have Mr. Ira Stephen there to thank for that. Right. But I'm adoring everything Murtaugh. My bad in this episode. I just think we spent too much time watching the king try to do good old number two. <laughs> and the great yep. were the costumes. Now, um, for those of you who missed it, there was an amazing live event, live streamed event, um, the week of the premiere, and Terry got to talk really in great detail. Terry Dresbeck. Yes. The, the, the costume designer. The costume designer about some of the costumes and it was so nice to now see them on the screen and to know hmm. oh wow that was the one she was talking about and look at that amazing stitching like so, the Dior one yeah so we're gonna make sure that we have a link to no, that video actually uh, it's on the Outliner Cast blog oh it already is the, okay the, good. Uh, the live feed was on the blog but I'm gonna say that this will be in this week's show notes of oh, this okay. episode All right. so if you did not get to see Terry's uh, presentation about the costumes so many of them were shown in this episode that she talked about that you would just really enjoy it how about you Blake what was your good bad great actually one other thing before we do my good bad great uh, Ashley actually did a live blog of that event as well so you'll be able to check out that too at the Outlander cast blog but my good bad great first good is Suzanne Smith and uh, the silence is deafening I know it's not I know who she is yes you do because I pointed it out to because you because you're a nerd like me <laughs> Suzanne Smith is the casting director uh, for Outlander and I will tell you um, despite some reservations I had about this episode, the casting for this episode is fantastic. I mean, Bonnie Prince Charlie, he's this weaselly little dude, fan- <laughs> like unbelievable. Even the king, you know, Louise, like all that stuff. Great. She did. And obviously with, with, with Sam and Kat and Tobias, she, she nailed, she has nailed the casting. And I wanted to make sure everybody realizes that it's Suzanne, Suzanne Smith as the casting director. The bad is the overall tone of this episode. What do you mean? The overall tone, like a lot of people have said pacing, and, mm-hmm. I, and I found that the pacing is okay. Um, and pacing means like you're going from one thing to the next to the next. And, you know, is it fast? Is it slow? Is, is the tone, is, uh, is what they're saying, does that make sense? Does it flow properly? And I think it flowed, 
but the tone of the episode, meaning like, is it serious? Is it funny? Is it introspective? Is it dramatic? Is it all these things? Or is it one thing? Or is it two things in particular? I thought the tone of this was muddled, and I thought it was mixed. Mm. It was very serious. It was Jamie PTSD, and then it was seeing the king trying to take a poop on his throne, like quite literally. And I didn't agree with that. I thought the okay. tone, the overall tone of the episode was mixed. Okay. And it didn't know what it wanted to be. It didn't know if it wanted to be serious, and it didn't know if it wanted to be funny. Well, I disagree with you on that, but I can appreciate that that is your bad. That's okay. Great. You know, I'm a, I'm a fanboy, and I'm okay with that, <laughs> but Bear McCreary continues to steal the show. Yes, he does. The, Listen, the, this, the, the, the first two episodes of Outlander have had ups and downs, and I, I'm okay with that. But the one constant, the one thing that has not only met my expectations, but exceeded them, I mean, to a, a huge degree, is Bear McCreary's score. Hearing the harpsichord, hearing the accordion, hearing the, the, final, the final song for the score at the end of the episode, again, nails it. Great, great, great. great. If I could, like, great cubed, mm-hmm. great. He, it's unbelievable. Uh, what do you got for the kilt rating, my love? The kilt rating. I am giving this episode another solid four. Uh-huh. I um, enjoyed the tone because I needed to laugh. I think that the past several episodes of Outlander, when you include the end of season one, were really rough. And then last week's episode was really rough on my heart. Mm. So I liked that I was able to laugh again. I laughed a lot in this episode. I loved the costumes. I loved the set. I loved Bear. Um, So there was a lot that I enjoyed. This was eye candy for me. I met a lot of characters who I've been dreaming about. And Hmm. the thing that I wish is I wish it was a two or three hour episode because I think some things were really rushed, but this is a big book. And in addition, when you read these books, it sometimes takes a little while to get to, you know, and this, I say this about Game of Thrones every season. Every season, the first couple of episodes, I'm like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not like sitting on the edge of my seat right now, mm-hmm. but you need this exposition. You need to know these characters. You need to know these certain few things about these characters to move forward. Now we only have 11 episodes. So I think that the writing team has tackled some huge hurdles in a short amount. One hour episode, you met a handful of characters who you need to know right uh for me i'm giving it a 3.7 that's such an odd rating no it's not it's perfectly valid okay it's perfectly valid i'm giving it a 3.7 because i enjoyed it i wasn't bored good well i'm I'm really glad to hear that but it is (laughs) what it is like uh for me this was like akin to like the watch like the watch was fun but I liked the watch. I know you did. That's why you gave it a four. I remember that. <laughs> For me, it was the watch. It was like it was fun. It was okay. I, I I enjoyed it. I wasn't bored, but it wasn't memorable in any particular way, except for the end. Uh, the other thing that I found too, and this was gonna be my bad, mm-hmm. uh, but it was completely plot driven. There were things that were in the episode um, that needed to be there, and the plot drove the characters as opposed to the character driving the plot and i didn't like that so because of that we'll get into what happened and why i thought that was like that but because of that 3.8 uh, 3.7 kilts i don't want to go crazy here 3.7 kilts for me what do you got for the listeners kid Ayana Smith gives it five kilts. There was a lot of material condensed into this episode, and Ayana enjoyed it very much. The casting on Outlander hasn't faltered. Master Raymond was masterfully 
Oh, masterful. <laughs> Whatever. Making up words. Master and masterful. <laughs> and Louise was magnificent. However, Murtaugh stole the show. Arses and armpits is so my new catchphrase. <laughs> I know. I'm glad uh, that Clary's pregnancy is showing when it should, when she doesn't have a corset on. Bear McCreary's music is just fantastic. Baroque is so not my usual pick. I can't stand the harpsichord, Ooh. but I love Bear's Baroque music. I also love his very subtle hints of Jamie and Claire's theme and even what sounded like a slight callback to the 109 jaunty tune after Jamie's reaction to the red dress. <laughs> Master Raymond's apothecary alone is worth five kilts. Diane Thibodeau, is that how you would say it? Sure, yeah, that's a good one. Good job. Thank you, thank you. Says, I gave this episode three kilts. It pales in comparison to last week's episode. Other than Terry Dresbach's stunning costumes, there was too much humor crammed into this episode and not enough focus on the seriousness of Jamie and Claire's plan. Thank you. Too many characters introduced and not enough time spent on any of them. Thank you. Except maybe Master Raymond. What a terrible way to introduce King Louis. Thank you. Reminded me of an Outlander version of The Man Show. (laughs) And Flip Flop Sunshine gives it Four kilts, you know, right right in the middle. Right in the middle, why not? <laughs> and says, I could have lived the rest of my days without seeing the king of France struggle with constipation. You know what, <laughs> Flip Flop Sunshine? Me too. Me too. <laughs> This episode of Outlander Cast is brought to you by the Outlander Experience. Have you always wanted to see the sweeping vistas of the Scottish Highlands and retrace the steps of Jamie and Claire? But we're overwhelmed by the planning. Well, worry no more because all you have to do is visit www.theoutlanderexperience.com where you can book a fully planned, fully escorted 10-day luxury tour of Scotland. Join Jeff Robertson, owner of the Outlander Experience, as he personally guides you through all the major sites in Scotland where Outlander Season 1 was filmed and much more. Visit Jeff at www.theoutlanderexperience.com to book the trip you've always wanted but never knew you needed. And tell him that Mary Blake sent you. Theoutlanderexperience.com, where the Scottish past is alive, but the story will take your breath away. So the episode was not in Scotland anymore. An obvious reference to the Wizard of Oz. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. How did you feel about that title? I liked it, actually. I thought it was very, it was on the nose, obviously, Mm -hmm. and it was very direct and to the point you understood the reason why we were watching this episode. You ready for this? What's that? You ready? Okay. I'm ready. Bring it on. Guys, when was Claire from? Originally. 1945. Yeah. And when did the Wizard of Oz come out? 1939. Okay, so she knew the movie. Right. What kind of shoes was Claire wearing? Red shoes. <laughs> so I know that some people might have said, yeah, it's right in the nose, but I thought it was really cool because you know that Claire stood in her dressing room and clicked those heels three times. <laughs> I don't think she clicked the heels. I doubt it. But... I totally would have. If I had red shoes, I would be click, click, click. Oh my God. Okay, written by Ira Stephen Bear of, um, uh, what's it called? He's a writer? Yeah, no, no, no. no. Of uh, the Garrison Commander fame. Yes. And also 
uh, Wentworth Prison mm-hmm. and to ransom a man's soul fame. Uh, Can I just say? Sure. Okay, so he he was in the little after interview mm-hmm. um, during if you got to watch the extended little bits to this week's episode, and he, in case those of you who haven't seen a picture of Ira yet, he has a purple beard. He does. Well, it's a goatee. It's not a, a goatee. Beard. Okay, purple goatee, and I don't know how he gets it so purple. I said that today. <laughs> I said how. How does he do it? Does he bleach it first and then purple He's it? He's got to bleach it then like take like Crayola macas and because like, you know, and like put it in the water. I tried to dye my hair purple in college and it didn't work. <laughs> so he, he either has blonde hair or he bleaches it and it's purple, but it's amazing and it's totally his trademark thing, that and his glasses. And I just think he's, he's a... He's a hoot to listen to. He is so fun. So if you haven't gotten to check out his his interview, it's right at the end of after the credits. Check him out. He's on there, and so is Ron. Yeah, and also if you haven't gotten a chance, take a take a look, listen back to our interview with Ira. Uh, I would say it was episode thirty five ish, right around there. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug. So uh, make sure you go back to listen to him. Then directed by Metin Husian. Uh, I, I think I did not punish his name as much as I did last episode. Uh, This was the guy that directed the search and also the premiere uh, for season two. So uh, if you liked the camera work for those and and the direction of of those episodes, you would have loved this episode. But I think it's time to get into the recap. What do we got, kiddo? All right. So the title card opens up uh, after to the dressing of Louise and her bows, and it just kind of sets the scene. We are here in elegance. Mm -hmm. We are here for frills. We are here for a different, different land of Outlander. And I thought that was really fun to see her being dressed like that. That is bows on bows on bows. (laughs) And we got a nice bit of harpsichord playing. Oh, yeah. This was fantastic. This, This is what set the tone for the show musically. I am drooling for this soundtrack to come out. I know, me too. Like, I'm just waiting. Maybe we can already pre-order it because <laughs> I'm going to need it. You know, the funny, thing is, the funny thing is, is I've always hated the harpsichord. I always hated how it sounded. Like, I, listening to Mozart and everything, I always hated it. But I started to like it when the show Hannibal came out. Okay. And Hannibal, in the show, spoiler alert, plays the harpsichord. And for whatever reason, it just, it hit me. And and I was like, dude, I love it. And when I when I heard this... It, again, it just set the tone. I, I thought it was fantastic. What a great choice for Bear. <laughs> I, however, had an entire CD full of harpsichord music Of course you up. did, nerd. I know. <laughs> the first thing we see is actually a sex scene between Jamie and Claire, right. except it's not real because right away you said, this isn't real because... No scars and no nothing on the on his hand. On his left hand. His left hand was not was not injured. It was not bruised. And we saw that you know throughout this entire episode. Now this is months later. This is maybe four five ish months when when it's later on in the show. And and Jamie is still really bruised. Has to wear a, you know a contraption on his hand. So he wouldn't have been like this in this sex scene had it been real. Right. And of course it uh, Claire then morphs into Blackjack Randall. And there is just so much blood. Oh, it's like Carrie to stab him. It was. It really was. It was it like was, Carrie going to the prom. Oh my gosh! And then for him to stab him that much, ha- Jamie then has the bloody face, and for Blackjack then to open his eyes and cough up a little blood, but basically oh. to symbolize I'm not dead yet. Right. No matter what you do, no matter how much you try to get rid of me. I'm not going anywhere. Now, how do you take the scene now that you've seen the end where you do find out that Blackjack Randall is still alive and you kind of figured that out because obviously, even though you're not a book reader, you've known that Tobias Menzies has been By back. the way, by the way, I have I called in my outlandish theory that Blackjack Randall was was alive, so this is for me. Bam! Just like that. 
I called it. He is still alive. I knew he wasn't dead. That is that. Oh, you silly nut. I'm, I'm, I'm so awesome at this game. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. No, what did I take from that? I, I took from it that it was uh, it was serious business. Jamie, not only, even if Blackjack was dead, no matter what, no matter what Jamie did to Blackjack in his dreams, he was like Freddy Krueger. He was never, ever, ever going to go away from, from mm-hmm. Jamie. No matter how much he stabbed him, no matter how much blood soaked um, he became how much how much blood there was in his in his hair. Like I, I noticed that there was a lot of like blood in his hair yes. and everything and on his face and it was dripping. No matter what happened, Blackjack was always going to come back. Yeah, and uh, I liked that. I thought that was there was a lot uh, to be said between the relationship of the two men there. Claire tells him, you know, did you have a nightmare again? And she she tells Jamie this, and then also I think later in the episode that Blackjack Randall is dead, and. I have mixed feelings about that, that Mm -hmm. she said that. I think, um, you know, it's important story-wise for her to say that maybe if someone's just joining us new and needs to know, oh, they think this guy's dead. Guess what? At the end, he's not. Like, they needed to really impress upon you that they think he's dead. But there was a part of me that's saying, Claire, shut your mouth. Right. Jamie, Black Jack Randall, even as you said, even if he was dead, he will never die in the nightmares of Jamie Fraser. Well, but you know, the problem is, though, like she's trying to help him along. She is. She's trying to say, listen, he's dead. He's not coming back. It's it's the end. Stop worrying. Of course, we have. And this is what was beautiful about this scene. Of course, I mean, the sex scene was great and whatever. You know, it was. It was the war- sex scene was not no, great. Let, let me finish. Between Claire and Jamie, it oh. was nice. It was warm. It was good to see them back in that kind of mode, even though you knew it wasn't right because there was no scars and his hand wasn't. But if you weren't paying attention, you didn't see that. Yeah. So it felt good to see them back to normal. But then you see how he's haunted by Blackjack Randall. And the fact that there is this thing called PTSD, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, right? Uh, Like that exists and Jamie is going through it. And I've always maintained that Jamie is, he is depressed. He is Totally 100% depressed. In the show, most certainly. Once again, where are the flipping therapists? <laughs> Copays, left and right. <laughs> My goodness. 25 here, so, 25 there. So I get you. I get that Claire's there. It's just like, you know, when you're comforting a kid and you're saying there are no monsters. I promise there are no monsters. But a part of me also said, I just, I want you to go sit with him. I want you to go make a warm cup of milk and sit with him as he does these receipts. Does anybody because... really drink milk, warm milk anymore? I do. Remember when I get it steamed with vanilla? It's <laughs> so gross. It's <laughs> so freaking nasty. Whatever. It's comforting. <laughs> warm milk. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <sighs> um, we get to see the courtyard scene. Yep. Which was amazing. This is another thing that you get to see inside of that video that I was telling you about earlier. Um, and the courtyard scene was all actually made inside an indoor set, right. which is wild. I adored the music in this courtyard scene. I think oh. I'm going to talk about the music probably five times in this episode because it was just um, that awesome. The accordion and all. all oh, oh my god! <laughs> like you really get a you get a real musical sense that they are in France. One thing that was a little weird, and many of you might have noticed this, was the number 1745 came up on the screen. <laughs> and you sit there and you say, "Wait a second. Wait, hold time out. Last week was 1745, and I didn't really care about it that much. But this week, 1745." How can it be? How can it be? Because timelines just don't match up. And if this is a 1745, they should probably be back in Scotland getting ready because the Battle of Culloden is going to happen this year. Right. So it was 1743 when they were in Scotland. And it was it was at least late 1743. Here's what happened. 
Meryl Davis has come out and said, really sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but the dates. We effed up. <laughs> should have said 1744. Sorry. Oh, okay, my. so. so and that was a mistake. It was a mistake. Oh. And Meryl came out and, and said it. Um, who knows if it can get, I mean, it probably can get fixed in some way, shape, or form. I, I've I'm heard hoping. that it's already been fixed for, okay. for, for the Stas customers. Okay. Uh, not necessarily for the Amazon customers mm-hmm. yet. Uh, but for Stas, it has been fixed. And I think for future for future episodes, that it's going to be, listen. It's going to say like 2025. I, I know. Listen, no. I, that's a big freaking mistake. That's not like, oh, so, no. you know, there's a, wait, hold on, time out. It's not like it's like a camera in the scene, you know, like, oh, like, like you just I would be less forgiving it. of that. No, no, no. I'm t- because this is something that you see the frame, like the you see the work. Yeah. Somebody has to type in seventeen forty four, seventeen forty five. Yes. Someone reviews this episode before it goes out to stars. Listen. So oh, wait, 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 wait. Well, time out. Time out. Time out. Somebody from Sony. Somebody Ron Moore, Meryl Davis, Iris Stephen Bear. They all missed this mistake because you know, as we've spoken to them, they all see the episode before it goes out. Well, how did they miss this? Listen, they're probably sleep deprived. Okay, <laughs> not enough coffee. Not enough coffee. <laughs> I I don't think it was that big of a deal. I really could have cared less. As you know, those of you who are listeners, I don't really pay attention in history class. Okay, I just want to see. Well, it. it's kind of a big deal because it it takes away from the story. For for example, like Claire, if it's in 1745, she's had that kid now. Okay, if it's longest seven, pregnancy oh, ever. Right. So, are you telling me <laughs> that she's still in her first trimester a year later? What are we talking about? Yeah. Okay. Well, but now that we understand that she didn't have a magical womb. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No one knew why she's going to the apothecary. I need to have this kid, damn it. I need to be able to fit in this red dress in a year and a half from now. I don't want my postpartum belly to show. (laughs) Make me skinny. (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right. So we, we go inside the apartment. Really cool camera. To see Claire in uh, this dress that was also talked about in that live event, which is Terry Dresbach's favorite costume from the season. And it was based upon a Christian Dior, like the famous, you know, white suit uh, jacket. From that, the 1940s. Yes. That was really hip, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know the right I would word. say that it's still hip today. Yeah, I mean, just completely classic. And a lot of Claire's pieces that we're going to see in this season, they stand out. And I don't know if you noticed, when Claire was walking through the town, people were staring at her. And I didn't know, is this because those people were of a poorer class than her? Or were they staring at her because her outfit did look a little different? And Terry said, we made this point to make it look a bit more modern because that is Claire's flair. Like, Claire obviously had these clothes made mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. she says with the red dress i had help in designing this so she's a modern woman and these are the styles that were really big in 1745 i mean not 1945 <laughs> and i think that it was it was beautiful absolutely beautiful it was so we gorgeous. get to see that dress and then um i wanted to get your take on this claire has a little bit of a awkward conversation with her servant yep and the servant woman is saying could you please not fold your clothes and make your bed? And I'm sitting there saying, can you please come to my house? I know. Would you do my laundry, please? Because I know as soon as I'm on a cruise, I am like, Blake, guess what? We don't have to make our bed. Not like we do anyway, but we don't need to make our bed. Like if someone's going to come and turn down the bed, this is amazing. 
why do I have an I have a theory, but why do you think that Claire still, mind you, this is like three months later, mm-hmm. why do you think Claire still makes her bed and folds her own clothes? Well, the first thing I thought of actually was spoiler alert, Downton Abbey. Remember when Tom finally became he went upstairs and he became one of like the family? Uh, yes. and, and and everybody like he was supposed to have I'm, I'm sorry not Tom um, Branson no no not Tom oh. Branson uh, Matt Matthew Matthew Crawley oh. he became one with the family and you know he spoiler alert he gets married to uh, Mary. to Mary Michelle Dockery and all of a sudden he gets servants and he was just this dude off the street and now he gets servants and he gets butlers and he gets valets and everyone's driving his car for him and he's like I don't I don't know what to do. How do you why do you do this? And what they said, the servant said was, I was trained for this. This mm-hmm. is my life. It's not something that I don't want to do. I want to do this. This is my job. Mm-hmm. Please allow me to do this. I live to do this. Now, for you and I now in, in 2016, it sounds stupid. It sounds like what are you talking like I would I would hate making somebody's bed no but if it, if that's your job but if that's it, what you were trained to do your entire life well also i'd be nervous that my job would be in jeopardy i mean right. think about it. if you're the maid and you don't think your mistress needs your skills you might be nervous that she's gonna fire you exactly so i can i understand claire's reaction but i also understand the uh the maid's reaction i mean was it a little over the top maybe but it was like oh please thank you you know <laughs> I was thinking that the maid was thinking, oh, thank God, I still have a job. Right. And Claire, I'm taking a different angle. It's habit. So (laughs) Claire, I think, is habit. Okay. And I'm saying this because Claire was a military nurse. Oh, okay. Now, my mom was in the military for several years, for 30 years. My mom, every single day, made her bed Mm -hmm. beautifully, even if she was sick. My mom like puts away all of her clothes. Now, when you see movies about if you're not with anyone who's been in the military, you yourself or someone in your family, you know, they have to keep things orderly. You see it in the movies. You see it in the TV shows like their shoes just have to go such a way. And they have, you know, people come in and did you do the bed corners the right way? So even if you're a military nurse, you know, you need to keep up with even your living quarters. And I think that it was so drilled into Claire. And with people who get that kind of thing drilled into them, it's something they can rely upon that doesn't change. Mm, good one. And I like so this idea. much of Claire and her life has been of so much change that this is something that she can do that is constant. Right. That is also something from her older life, but it might just be complete habit. Here's my bed. Know how to do it. This It's how you start your day. It's part of your routine, but it's also something that is consistent. Yeah, her. I think you're right. It's it's more part of the, of the fact that she's part of the modern era. You know, she's just a modern woman. That is what it is. So, you know, in the 40s, you know, for her class of woman, she's not getting these servants. She's not getting all this stuff. So I think that's part of it. But yes, I think you're 100% right. And I didn't even think about this, that she's a military girl. And, you know, you got to bounce that quarter off the bed or else, you know, you're getting 20. Because did you have a lot of military? You're, neither of your parents were in the military. No, my grandfathers were. But yeah, not, so you didn't grow my, up. Nope, Let me I tell you, when you grow up in a military family, <laughs> you got to watch out on duty. duty <laughs> Especially weekends. when it's your mom. It must be, must be tougher when it's your mom. When my mom came home in like combat gear, and, <sighs> and I hadn't done my homework yet, <laughs> I was not going in, straight to the books. Yeah. Yes, Sergeant. <laughs> the first voiceover happens as Claire's leaving, and this is where she's getting to the carriage, but. 
I liked this voiceover. Very now, I know valuable. The voiceover said that Jared had, you know, hand chosen the servants, so they were people that they could trust. Now, a lot of people don't like the voiceovers, but this one is one that there is no way that Claire could do it unless she said it out loud to Jamie, like, wow, Jamie, I'm so glad we could talk about our secrets to ruin the Jacobite. <laughs> and, and, and you can't do that. No. You, you can't do that in It'd normal television. It'd be too cheesy. Right. So she had to say it in a VO because we do see these servants around while they're making their plans. Right. And it, it makes sense for not only the character to be thinking about it, but it makes sense for the character to be telling you, the the the, the viewer, about that. Because there's no way to translate that. There, there is zero way to translate the fact that Jared hired these people. Jared liked them. Jared trusts them. Thereby, Claire and Jamie should trust them. And you, you, couldn't, you just couldn't get it. You couldn't get it. What did you think about the rest of the VO? Great. Loved it. The whole thing about the Eiffel Tower and coming back and saying, what really struck me was not necessarily the Eiffel Tower, but it was more like the last time I was here, it was 1945, and we had just won the war. Think about that. Think about that setting. Mm. Think about the delirious setting that's going on in France. We saw it. We, we did see it. it. She's drinking, the, she's drinking yes. the champagne and all that other stuff. And think about that context. And that, to me, is phenomenal. That is a character moment, again, that you could probably rely on going back to -hmm. the first episode. But it's good for you as the viewer to be reminded of the fact that she was in France, number one. And then number two, she was there for the end of the war. And number three, she she saw how crazy it was. And it reminds you back to Sassanac, that episode. I really, 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 really like this VO. And the Eiffel Tower thing was great, too. Um, Again, more context. I can't. I'm now here, a hundred years before it was even created. Well, it was good because then I wasn't searching the skyline for it because I was like, "Oh, this is like Ratatouille." We just saw Ratatouille recently with our kid, <laughs> and I would've been like, "Oh, there's that. There's that." Oh my god! Anyway. The fir- the, it's amazing that the first thing you think of when you see France is Ratatouille. No, well, uh, we just watched it recently. With I Reese. love that movie though. Claire's on her way to go see Master Raymond. And you, my lovely non-book reading husband, what did you think of this character? Uh, I thought he was quirky. I thought he was eccentric. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, he reminded me of Andy Serkis. You know, the guy that uh, does all the mo- mocap for like the Planet of the Apes and Star Wars. and Like Gollum? From- Go- yeah, Gollum. He reminded me of Andy oh, Serkis. okay, yeah. I don't know why, um, but I thought it was good. I thought the, the, the dialogue, especially with Claire... Uh, smelling the um, the blood, the, the blood. I thought that was a little hammy. I thought that was a little <gasps> a little clunky. No, I um, loved that. I loved was, that. It, I felt like it was it was put in there to show the viewer that you know Claire knows everything. And but you see, th- here's the thing: it doesn't serve the characters because you already know that she's in herbology. Like she is into herbology and she knows all these. Well, let me let me finish. Okay. Do you like and, that you can hear me breathing? I know for I can't. A contradiction, I can, and that's amazing. <laughs> you already know all of this, right? And and. She, the guy, uh, Master Raymond, he already knows who Claire is. Uh, well, he doesn't know at that very moment, mm-hmm. but he knows who Claire is, and he knows that she is someone not to be trifled with. That she, her, her reputation uh, is is a big one uh, already, even in France. So, is it necessary for him to know all this stuff? I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, now give me your retort. As a book reader, uh-huh. it is important for him to know this. This is going to be common ground for them that they understand the uses of these uh, herbs and everything. So it is important that Claire sniff this, show that she knows what's going on, and he can sit there and say, wow, your nose isn't just decorative. That gotcha. Is, it's a very important 
that's why they, it's in. Gotcha. But um, they, they've, they could have already accomplished that by her knowing the herbs that she could use for Jamie for him to get him to sleep. No, I, I don't think so. That'd be me going in and being like, hey, does anyone have any uh, sleep medicine? Whatever it's called. The one with the butterfly no, no, but in the she, commercial. But she named specifically... I this disagree. particular herb. I don't know how popular that was. That's why I'm saying like it'd be different. It'd be like me going to CVS and saying, excuse me, pharmacist, where's the melatonin? They're not going to be like, wow, this girl knows what she's talking about. Uh, possibly. I, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with what you're saying. I, I still feel like it was a little clunky, but I'm, I'm this, uh, whatever. I, I actually enjoyed the scene. I, I enjoyed the alligator that was hanging from mm-hmm. the ceiling. I, I actually did like the fact that she could tell that it was not crocodile blood. I think that was interesting, even though I felt like the di- dialogue was clunky. Uh, Master Raymond was, was funny. Uh, you could tell that he's a little bit of a snake oil salesman, obviously, because he's, he's substituting pig blood for... Uh, for crocodile blood mm-hmm. and he's taking advantage of everybody else around him that that is a good interesting character trait uh, that you did learn about him I would say uh, and that is a little bit of a contradiction to what I'm telling you but you did learn about him in, in, in a good way mm-hmm. and and you can see the roots of a relationship brewing not only because they have this special interest but because on the very nose that they were saying they'd both don't like the Comte Saint-Germain. And I think that is, you know, if you're not my enemy, if you're my enemy's enemy, then you're my friend. And at least that's common ground. Yes, they have a lot of common ground and they are friends. That's what you need to take out of it. The shop was beautiful. What did it remind you of? The wand shop in Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. That was the first thing I thought of, too. (laughs) The dark teal wood. I was just ready for her to walk in and hold a wand and have all the wind swirl around her curly hair. (laughs) Right. And and, uh, a cute, uh, well, not a cute, but a fun bit of knowledge. The square that Claire goes into after leaving her apartment Mm -hmm. was the same square that she walks into to go to the apothecary. Set, you mean. The set Mm -hmm. uh, is the same set. And also, the apothecary was part of the same set as the apartment that they have. Yeah, they just repurposed, added new things, took away different things. Once again, this was all in that live streaming video. Again, check Um, that out on Outlandercast blog. It's amazing. You guys, if you haven't checked it out, it is. It's going to be mind-blowing. I loved the little quote that he had where he said he's going to keep you all awake all night with his snoring. (laughs) (laughs) and i thought that was a very funny bit you could tell that he is a funny eccentric man i'm gonna love him you know what else i loved what's that some sword practicing oh i really really liked this This might have been my favorite scene i mean this episode this scene i really liked this scene because you could tell that they were a fish out of water there oh completely completely complete with i'll rip your balls off (laughs) and asses and armpits (laughs) (laughs) murtaugh just so great we also got a taste of some bagpipes tojo was gonna talk about the music but the bagpipes came back and there was kilt wearing and they were just i just loved this i love that it grew on jamie and murtaugh's relationship one thing that's been hard is claire and jamie's relationship hasn't really been growing too much a lot of it's because that he's dealing so much with his uh, PTSD. Right, but it's also Claire and Jamie's relationship so far this season has all been plot-driven. There's There's been no character... Mo- the one character moment that they've had between the two of them, in my opinion, is the PTSD scene. Yes. That is what grows them together. Everything yes. else has been, we're going to... Stop the rebellion. And, I'm going to remind you again, Jamie. Yeah, like all, all it's all, it's all plot. And this is yeah. what I'm trying to tell you. And we're going to get into this more. But everything in this in the show so far has been plot. Mm-hmm. It, everything has been 
from point A to point B. How do we get from point A to point B? What are we going to make our characters do as opposed to our characters are going to inform the plot? What I liked with this is it was a fun piece where you really got to flesh out different ideas. Murtaugh's there singing, why don't we just kill the guy? Yeah, Yes! Which, um... A, I bet a lot of the audience might have been thinking that too. Like, why are we going to go through all this trouble? Why don't they just kill him? Okay, so it's good to just get that out in the air. And I don't think it's particularly like Murtaugh to say that, you know, because Jamie even said like, you know, like an assassin. What are you talking about? But to be honest, Murtaugh hates France. He hates it there. And he just wants to get home. And right. Jamie even says that you're willing to to kill a, a prince, possibly even a king, right. just because you miss Scotland so much. And Murtaugh is all set with these French people. And I think <laughs> to him, it's like, it's a much easier way to get done with all this stuff rather right. than lying and trying to weasel our way in. But it was fun to kind of like, to, it was a way to talk about the plot, to talk about different ways and avenues that they could right. do it um, while they were fighting, while they were doing some more Scottish to show them, as you said, that they were fish out of and, water. And it shows you a bunch of different things all at once. It shows you that Murtaugh has had enough of France mm-hmm. and already, and it's only been a few months, and he misses Scotland. He misses the smell. He misses... Uh, lard bucket people. and big head. Yeah, lard bucket, bucket, and lard bucket and big head. <laughs> Otherwise known as Rupert and Angus. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, had that been in the previous season? No, it would have been cute if it was. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he remind he misses them as Lad Bucket and Big Head, and the fact that Jamie says, you know, Rupert would have called it muscle, mm-hmm. really good stuff. It shows you that they miss them. Yeah. It shows you that Jamie misses them and he looks at them fondly. It also shows you, again, the fact that Jamie, he's not himself. No. He's still, he's missing wide. His His left hand is shaky. He can't hold on to it. But he's still a tough guy because he's still fighting and he's still willing to learn and get better. Mm-hmm. But it's also telling you plot wise that dueling is outlawed outlawed in France. Good job picking up on that. Thank you. And now this to me is like, um, you know, introducing the gun in the first now, act. This was not in the book. Oh, okay, yeah. But I'm happy that they put it in and just keep that little piece stuck in your yeah, head. Yeah, because they're not going to introduce the gun without, you know, telling you, without bringing it back in the second or third act. There you go. So there's going to be a duel of some sort. Okay. Um, And given, uh, you know, I'm going to save this. I'm just this. diverting my eyes. Yeah, I'm going to save this for my outlandish theory please. of the week. I can only keep a straight face for so long. I know. So, But it was, it was a <laughs> great scene. It was a little expository, but I was okay with the exposition because... It made sense. Yes. And it told you, it informed you about the characters and the situation that they're in. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. It was fun to see them interact and have a little bit of Scottish in them going back. Also to really point out how badly damaged Jamie's hand still is. Once right. again, this is months later. Four months, I'd feel like now, maybe three, maybe still three, three-ish, sure. four-ish months. And even just the way he holds it when he's not fighting, I don't. if you take a close look when he has it all wrapped up, he even holds that index finger like crooked. Right. You know, it's really, and and I really applaud Sam because he was constantly holding that hand. Yeah, and he you know, really he's holding it up almost. Yes, yes, because you can just tell it pains him all the time. Like even just that one finger, how differently he treats it. I loved it. That was um, it was always purple too. Like mm-hmm. they really made sure, you know, to do do some good makeup to make it look like it was still swollen. I, I wonder think- if it was digitally effects. I, I mean, it could be. I would just do it with regular makeup. I mean, it could, but I mean, your hand is obviously going to get is going to touch things. So I wonder if, because of of the expediency of not having his hand be all makeuped up, I wonder if it was digital. Mm-hmm. It could have been. Could have been. I think it'd be easier just to paint it on. I but I, I'm just pointing that out that that is such a long time for that to heal. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
You know, you think about when you get a bruise and how quickly it goes away. And this just shows you the degree of um, physical pain and torment that Jamie went through just even on his hand. And I like it because it's a physical reminder to us, the viewers, of that this isn't even scratching the surface of the emotional turmoil that he's still in. And I like the fact that Jamie is the one that's saying, no, we can't go kill this guy. Because, okay, let's say we kill him. What about his father? James the third. What's he's going to come back and, and it's going to just make sure that he wants to sit on the English throne even more. And okay, fine then. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to kill James the third. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to do that? Like you know, it like it just and, and even Murtaugh says I'm t- I'm t- I'm talking about action here, and you're telling me things about logic, mm-hmm. and it it shows you again the kind of people that they are. Yes. Jamie's here to think about this. Murtaugh's like, dude, I had enough. And if you hadn't got a chance, go back to our Jacobite History podcast. I think that was episode 12 or 13-ish, uh, and that you will learn all about James III and the Bonnie Prince uh, in that episode, and you'll get the context of what they're talking about for well, James III. Nice segue, because Jamie then gets a letter saying, Jared wants you to meet the Bonnie yeah. Prince. And not only do you want to meet the Bonnie Prince, but we're going to meet him in a brothel. Okay, this is the first example of characters doing things because the plot demands it. Um, I like like okay. So, oh, actually, well, for this episode, the well, first the first example of plot demanding characters to do things is when Claire says to Jamie, "We have a cousin in France. We can go stay with him." And then the then the cousin says, "You can one my we can run my winery because I'm leaving." And it, it just puts Jamie in the position to do what he's doing. There's no there's no reason for it. He's just Yeah, he tells Jared. He says, Jared, this is what I'm here to do. Oh, I know, but but Jared just happens to be leaving and Jared just happens to say, run my winery. And then Jared just happens to send this letter saying, You're now invited. It's things happening to the characters as opposed to the characters doing things. And I guess this is where we differ as a book reader and a show watcher because we get to have a lot more in depth stuff where you get to know that this wouldn't have been out of you know, out of the blue. Right. So I can appreciate that as a show watcher, it just all seems too <laughs> perfectly laid and, out. And one of the one of the uh, listeners in in the uh, in, in in the kill writing said this. There's a lot jammed in here. Yes. I mean, we've been talking now for what 25 minutes or so. What, what does it say? <laughs> 40. 40 minutes, and we're, we're not even like a quarter through the episode. I know. So there's a lot. There's a lot of things happening here. Mm-hmm. What are we? What are we even talking about? A lot of things, including. The Bonnie Prince. Okay, right. quick thoughts on the Bonnie Prince. Give it to me. Uh, liked his casting. I hate the man. I think you're supposed to. You're supposed to. Obviously, you're supposed to hate him. <laughs> he's an idiot. And the thing that he's talking about, and, he, and he's not listening to reason. He's saying he is citing the fact that he has the divine right of kings. But if that's what he believes, and that's what he's been told his entire life, right. I mean, it would be like me being like, the world is round, guys. The world is honestly round. <laughs> but there's round. empirical proof that the world is round. There is an empirical proof that he actually has a divine right. Well, oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. And the fact that the British monarchy is based on the divine right, that's fine. But that in and of itself is Im- implies that the current king has the divine right. That the Hanoverians at this time, George has the divine right. I don't know. Not the Stuarts. I don't know. (laughs) Listen, I just don't mess with God and all this kind of stuff. And what I loved is that Jamie and Murtaugh really took their time with this guy. You know, Jamie sat there and told him the truth. Um, 
And this was all, of course, after that really awkward, your wives and here are dildos that you can buy or yeah. rent. Oh, all of this anyway. stuff could, could go away. I mean, I get it. I get that it was showy, but just to hear that people rented dildos makes me want to squirm. Um, anyway, so Jamie tells him, here's the scoop. No, people are not going to rally to you. Right. And Murtaugh even says, I'm sorry, but our people are farmers. They even fight with themselves. Have you ever been to Scotland? That was telling. That yes. was Because then... It shows you the entire reason for this rebellion mm-hmm. is to only service the Bonnie Prince. Yep. It's not for the for the Scottish people. The Bonnie Prince doesn't give a shit about the Scottish people. What he cares about is the Stuart being on the throne. Mm-hmm. And for the fact that he hasn't even been there, and it, and it gives you some lame-ass excuse of, well, I was in Italy uh, in my formative years, so I've have mm, never been. I've never had the pleasure. And I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn from the mistakes of of uh, of the of the previous guy in the fifteen. And if you just watch, you know, Jamie and and Murtaugh when they're talking to to the Bonnie Prince, they're looking at him like, "Are you for real? <laughs> this is you're really this is saying really this? coming out of mouth." And then slowly, you know, Murtaugh's sitting there and he's like. You ask us to shed our blood for what? You know, yeah. Murtaugh's just no no fooling. Yeah. And Jamie, eventually, you can see the wheels in his head start to go where he's like, all right, I've got to play with this guy's game. This mm-hmm. this guy honestly thinks that God is demanding that he sit on the throne. Nothing we say is going to change his mind. Mm-hmm. We've literally just told him the truth. Yep. Two, two Scots have told him the truth, and he still isn't listening. So we've had a few awkward moments of silence, and <laughs> I'm just going to do a little cross, a little one. To be like, all right, man, sure. I, I hear what you're saying with God. Why yeah, you and on he the kisses throne? the ring reluctantly. Yes, yes. And, you know, the, the he says sec- he just can't change his mind. And I, I I think he decides, okay, like, this is now the, the different game. I thought we could take the shortcut, you know, rather than having to kill him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could just tell him, I'm sorry, but it's not going to work. Like, I just came from Scotland, and uh, I don't know who's been telling you this stuff, but it's not going to work. Jamie it, thought he could push the easy and button. And the funny thing is is that the Bonnie Prince already knows this. He already admits to the fact that there are sycophants in his court. Mm-hmm. There are sycophants that are telling him, yes, Charlie, bro, you're doing the right thing. Trust me. We'll, everyone's going to rise up. Everyone's going to love this. Everybody wants the Stuarts on track. They're going to come. They're going to come to your side. And he knows this. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that he wants a man of substance that I put in air quotes, that that Jamie will tell him one thing or another, Mm -hmm. he still denies Jamie because of his divine right from God, which, again, informs Jamie's decision to just say, yes, okay, fine, no problem, whatever. And that and again, when he he, when he cites the whole thing with money, well, we, we need money. And uh, when Bonnie Prince Charlie says this, mm-hmm. we need money, and I'm gonna get the money. Jamie then realizes this is this is how we. This get is him. your weakness, Mister Red Teeth. Did you see how red the Bonnie Prince's teeth were? A lot of wine, baby. He needs to go brush his wine teeth. Wine was flowing. Listen, I enjoyed the brothel scene. I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. I thought it was. Uh, it showed you the culture. It showed you the kind of man that the Bonnie Prince Charlie is, because mm-hmm. uh, you know this guy is 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 fit to be a king. You know, apparently in quotation marks. I do that again. I'm doing it as like as if the listeners can see me. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I'm doing that, but it shows you that this man is fit to be a king, and he's meeting people in brothels. What are we doing? You don't you don't plan a rebellion in a brothel. Although I will say that the that the Marines were founded in a pub, so hey, you know it you is know. it is what it is. Well, through this, Jamie gets told that he needs to meet the French Minister of Finance, and he'll do it on behalf of Bonnie Prince Charlie, Sir Joseph Duvenet. Again, and and again, I'm not sure if this is a character thing or if this is a plot thing. 
Because why would the Bonnie Prince trust Jamie, who he just met five freaking minutes ago, to go do the most important thing for his rebellion, which is attain the money? Uh, good question. Um, but Jamie it's, has been spoken for, I, and Jamie just now proved that he was honest. But it's so, but it's it's uh, it's, it's still, a lot of it's a lot of book condensed. But, but that's what I'm saying. It's it's plot driven. Jamie all of a sudden happens to meet this guy in a brothel, and he just and he trusts him wholeheartedly. And he just happens to trust him wholeheartedly, and he just happens to say, "You're gonna meet this bro." Well, here's here's an idea. Who's who's to say he hasn't sent twenty guys to go ask Sir Joseph Dubonnet? That's possible. Okay, that and he, is just, possible. he doesn't want to tell Jamie because it will hurt his feelings. <laughs> he just wants Jamie to feel special. That's you're, how you can you can so make up special. that plot line in your mind. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, so Paris, they've been there for. A long time and Claire is um, talking about her friend Louise and how she's a bit superfici- superficial but mm. she's a good friend and you're in her room and once again it's a VO it's a VO just to be like we've been here for three months I've got this really good girlfriend she's superficial but we have, to, we have to go meet the we have to go meet the minister of finance so this is how this is how it's gonna happen that's how that's how it ends up being said yeah yeah like, like, this is from A to B Yes. And then she's going to get to the Mr. Finance via Louise. Right? Yes. Yes, that's what's said. Okay, in the video. All right. So we get to Louise. We get to meet the monkey. And we get to be there for the waxing. And this was amazing because this was in keeping with the times. Okay. Let me tell you, that girl really shows what it feels like to be waxed because... I had my legs waxed when I was pregnant um, because I couldn't reach. <laughs> I couldn't reach my thighs and my, my uh, calves anymore. I just couldn't. It was really hard to maneuver. Oh my so God. that, ouch, man. She did a great job. You guys get a personal view of our lives via this podcast. I just okay. hope you appreciate what we say. We're talking about pineapples. We're talking about <laughs> waxings, pregnancies you can't reach. Anyway. A gorgeous room, set design. I adored Louise's apartment. Yes. I, there was a harp. There were beautiful tapestries, the gold and the blue, all the details inside the room. And mm-hmm. we get to meet Mary Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'll, we'll come back to her. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Claire has that little thing like, I think I know you. I don't think I know you. And of course, they say we haven't ever met. And poor Mary Hawkins is engaged to some old wart guy. Yeah. And that's that's all we need to know. That's that's it. That and, and, it. And, and in the end, Louise says, come with me to Versailles. We'll have so much fun. Do you really have to bring Jamie? Okay, I guess so. It'll be fun. We're going to have your dress made. Yeah. Um, this scene was a good scene. I, I liked it. It set the, it set the tone for... Um, for Louise, mm-hmm. it informed you about who she was. Yes, uh, and it was a little over the top. Uh, you know, it was it was on the nose. It was trying to prove a point, and I get that. But again, this is more plot stuff. It's okay. We need to get to Versailles. The writers are saying, okay, how do we get Claire to Versailles? So it's organic. Oh, well, she just happens to have this friend, Louise, and she just happens to be cool this with people. This is all in the book. It's just fast forward. But, but I'm saying, but again, as a show, this is plot driven. It's not character driven. You Let have- me finish. Let me finish. When we met Galus, it was an organic thing. It was picking they were flowers. picking flowers, what, whatever they were doing, they were doing it. And it was an organic thing. That friendship was an, it, it happened by itself, you saw it develop. You saw that. You saw how it went. 
But in this case, they're trying to cram so much in that it was, well, I have this friend. And wouldn't you know, this friend says, you're coming to Versailles with me. And Claire's like, oh, okay, I'll come to Versailles. And, and, and now we have the avenue so you would have felt better to get to the minister. If we met Louise last week during the really long Frank time. No. Had we met no, her. Hell no. Oh, <laughs> no but hell no. You're just saying that we you wish we had gotten to meet her and it was more organic. No, no. Rather what, than... what we do, what we do is we cut out some of the dildo time. Oh, gosh. We cut out some of the, the wives in the brothel time. Mm-hmm. We cut out some of we cut out some of all that crap. And then we we insert all the stuff that we learned in the first episode about France. And then we insert uh, the the stuff with Louise. I just think we need twenty episodes. That's what I think. It's I. I will. Know. I will. I will admit that this that this season would probably benefit for having sixteen episodes. Like if we could do a two parter again, right? That would have been great. I agree. There's they are big books, and you do get to have a lot of time where the character development and relationships breathe. And so much of this episode, once again, an hour long. They had to cram pack so many new characters and be like here you go they met months but, ago but, but then, and now they're then, good friends but then I think as the writers you then have to make a choice you have to make a choice of who you're doing and what you're doing but they had to do it now there is just so much Blake so I want you to look back on this at yeah. the end of the season and say honestly could, is there any other way but, I, but I gotta it? live in the now though because number one yes. I'm, I'm a show watcher and I don't know the story coming forward so how are you going to entertain me and it's, keep it and keep it streamlined so that it makes sense We'll give it until next week for you. Okay. All right. Yeah. And and I and let me say this. I, I'm being a little a little negative, and and that's okay. I also understand that it's still the second episode of the season. I still understand that there is a lot of setup. You got you got to set the table. You got to put the characters in place. You got to make sure you know who they are. You got to make sure you know their faces. You have to delineate who we are going to deal with for the rest of the season. Yep. And I get that. But do it to me in a more organic, in a more organic and interesting way. If they had the time, Blake, I think they would have done it. You're probably right. And and so I don't think it's by any fault of their own. And I think this is the best that they could do. Okay. And I think that that being said, they did a fantastic. And the fact job. that and the fact that Iris Stephen Bear handled this episode. I mean, the number two man in the entire writing staff, the consigliere to Ron Moore. The fact that they that he handled this episode mm-hmm. probably tells you volumes about what they needed to do and how they needed to accomplish it. How much needed to be condensed and he needed it in his hands. Listen, Ann Ann Kenny, Matt B. Roberts, Tony Graffia, they're all great writers in their own respect. But, and and I'm probably going to upset some people, they're not Iris Stephen Bear, right? This man is exceptional. Like he and Ron Moore are exceptional. And they run their own shows. They know exactly what they're doing. So the fact that Ron said, Ira, I need you to handle this. And it's not that it's not that this is a, a one-time deal, by the way. Ira handled um, Wentworth Prison. And when they were having a hard time breaking uh, to ransom a man's soul, they said, Ira, we need you to come in here and save our asses. Well, not and, they, and he did it. Yeah. So it, I feel like... This is Ira had to take the hit to make it the story as best as he could. Yes. So stop hating. Well, I'm still going to continue to hate a little bit. But <laughs> Please don't. Well, uh, I, but, I have to. But now, but by this, by what I'm telling you is they only have 13 episodes and this was a task he was given. Hi, Ira. We need to know all these characters and we need to know them all now. Right. How do you do that? Okay. Get it Get it in the episode now. Yeah. I, I get it. No, I understand. But try to do it in a more interesting way. I think it was done very interesting. <laughs> okay, continue. 
uh, Claire has a fun time being waxed herself and goes home and <laughs> shows honeypot. Jamie her honeypot. <laughs> and of course, this brings about sex, which brings back flashbacks of BJR. Oh, great stuff. And, um, you know, great in a way that it's it shows you that it's still haunting Jamie and that it's still so hard and still ever present. And, and Claire, it, it, of course, just said, it's okay. Let's just go to sleep. And Jamie's face was in such agony. And I thought, gosh... Sam, once again, is hitting it out of the park because it's not only that he's still haunted, but this was such an integral part of his relationship with Claire was mm-hmm. their sexual relationship. Now, this is months later. Right. Months. Right. So who even knows if they've had sex at all, if this is what it's like every time they I would, try. I would argue that they, that it's doubtful. Like yeah. They've tried and it ain't working. And And he knows it's not... It's not only just for Jamie's pleasure, but obviously his wife. And here's his wife trying out something different and right. new to, you know, spice up the bedroom. And so it's it's his agony and his PTSD and his haunting, but also um, just feeling probably sad that he can't please his wife this way because it, it's it's something that's now coming between their relationship. So I just, I thought it was really um, a very amazing acting job by Sam f- to be able to carry all of that on his face. A few things about this scene that I really like. Number one, it legitimizes completely everything that we saw in To Ransom a Man's Soul. It, it legitimizes all of it. And, and even Wentworth Prison because you needed to see it mm-hmm. in order to understand why Jamie is the way that he is. Because if they just had alluded to it, if they had just said, oh, we're just going to move on, it'd be like, it'd be one of those, it would be like a nebulous kind of like, um, a, a nebulous kind of hate, a nebulous kind of uh, feeling of PTSD. But if mm-hmm. since you've seen it and you've experienced it along with Jamie, when you see Jamie touching Black Jack Randall's hair and saying, this is Claire's hair. Remember Claire's hair. You understand it now. You get it. You you get his mindset. I really liked that, number one. Number two, again, Jamie being depressed. He can't please his wife. And that must be weighing on him on him a lot. Number and, and number three, you could see the frustration in Claire's face in, in her demeanor a little bit. But what you saw was almost pity. Like Yeah, I would say more pity and, and sadness and aching. Right. For it her was it, like you could tell that she was a little frustrated, but it was more like Oh, it's More okay. frustrated that this happened to right, him. Right, right, right. It's like okay, no problem. We'll, we'll be okay. Yes. And I and I re- again, this is the character work that mm-hmm. we deserve as Outlander fans. Mm-hmm. You're getting the whole point for Jamie and why he's messed up. You're getting the whole point of what Claire's trying to do. She's just trying to make him better. Mm-hmm. She's just trying to help. She's done the hand. She fixed it. She's getting him the sleep stuff. But it's not. She's incapable. She's incapable of doing what she thinks she can do. Jamie has to own his own guilt and he has to own his own feeling and she cannot change that. Red dress. You know, I I didn't understand the whole big deal behind the red dress. I I didn't get it until I saw it. Mm -hmm. And now I get it. What did you get? What did you get? Why do you think uh, this red dress was a big deal? I got it because number one, it was beautiful. And number two, she stood out. That was her goal. Yeah. She was, it was like seeing a Cadillac in, in a cars full, in a, in a, in a car lot full of like, you know, Ford Impalas, you know, or Chevy, whatever the hell they are, Chevy Impalas. There you go. Um, that's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this was a, a statement. And I feel like she needed to do that. Yes. 
And she planned it because, as she said, I helped design this dress. Yep. I loved it. thought it was amazing, perfect. Katrina really shined in it. Loved the jewelry. Loved the hair. Loved, loved, loved the shoes. My God, everything. Right. Um, of course, we go into Versailles, the music once again, and the people. And I loved that they were holding the little oranges with the cloves because it probably <laughs> stanked in there. I mean, think yeah. about it. People in so many layers. No deodorant. No deodorant. It's no obviously not winter. It's not winter. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot in here. And they can't take off all their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's awkward what's that when you bump into your husband's ex oh my god i loved this i loved this loved this just because i'm sitting there saying oh, i would have done the same thing i would have been oh really no he didn't do it for me okay you know she the, oh my gosh the bitch face that was coming was out of touching, claire touching jamie stop touching she him just kept the, the ex-girlfriend kept touching him you know, touching his hair touching his shirt by the way i loved his costume very the Jamie's costume, fantastic, classic, very very good looking. And his hair, mm-hmm. how it was pulled back, yes, in the little ponytail. Mm-hmm. Like we noticed that at the at the brothel scene too. Yes, but I, I actually really like that look for him. I agree. I, I agree. I like it a lot. Very yeah. classy. I could see that. But again, an, another another plot thing. We're at Versailles because we were here from Louise and now all of a sudden oh my god it's Jamie's ex-girlfriend and then Jamie's ex-girlfriend says you need to go see the king I'm friends with all the people there I can get you in just so Jamie can get seen and recognized by the king and what an awkward scene Okay, I kind of loved it at first because I thought, this is what really happened. They're showing us this. They're showing us these outrageous oh, things. God. Because, guys, it's not like this here in America in 2016. It's not like this really anywhere in the world right now, I think, in 2016. But this is what it was like. People wanted to see the king so badly that they watched him poop. <laughs> and this is when... I, lo- I, lo- I loved when the guy checked the potty. Yeah, and he's like... <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. Time that's out. what I do. Guys. Time out. That's- time out. Time out. <laughs> Hold on. I that you just said potty. I know we're supposed to call it a throne. <laughs> Toilet, maybe anything, anything other than potty. Okay, no, because that's really what my life is like with a three-year-old. I'm like, come on, buddy, just relax. You can do it. And then he gets up to go play, and I check the potty, and I was like, and that he, guy with a wig. And you shake your head just the same way. He must have a three-year-old at home because it's just, exactly what you just do. Just concentrate, bear down, and prove to prove to your bowels that you're the master. <laughs> it reminded me. It reminded me of. Uh, Oh my God, Austin Powers. Who does number two work for? Who does number two work for? My goodness. And uh, of course, Jamie then gives him the wonderful idea that he needs to eat some porridge or oh, some porridge, porridge whatever. every single morning. You know, Jamie knows fiber. Fiber works. <laughs> Good luck. I need some 501. That you need. That's what he needs. Yeah. Oh uh, you God. said that the girls, when they were outside talking about the names for the male member, they reminded you of the Mean Girls. Yes, they did. It was all. It was all I could think of was uh, Rachel McAdams. Mm. You know, I'm all set with that. During they're, they're doing this so that we can this, see Mary talking to Alex Randall. That's what we needed right. out of this conversation was right. just to see that they were talking. That Mary looked very happy. That Alex looked very happy, and we get to see um, Mr. Duvernay. Uh, because Claire needs a moment. Claire needs a moment to breathe. Now, this is when I sat there and I said, wait a bloody second. 
why hasn't Claire said the smell with my pregnancy hormones or anything like this? <laughs> she hasn't acknowledged her pregnancy. The only person that's acknowledged her pregnancy in this entire episode was the servant. Right. When she said a woman who's pregnant like yourself shouldn't be doing this. Right. So I was kind of upset at this moment because I, I was like, oh, I would need air too. It was smelly in there. And then you're, you know, you have such a great sense of smell when you're pregnant. And I really wished that at some point, and I said this in the last episode too, that Claire and Jamie, they're just not acknowledging the pregnancy they need to acknowledge it they and have to god even just with morning sickness i mean it was acknowledged a lot more in the books and i would have even there were a couple times where i thought is she holding her belly like in louise's room i thought maybe she might be touching her belly a little bit mm-hmm. but i just i wanted a little bit more and granted you couldn't show it in that red dress that red dress was very very tight right but i would have liked her to be like oh i need a moment of air and for louise to say oh yeah of course my friend's pregnant <laughs> like she yeah, needs to go get her out of here. <laughs> yeah to the girls to the mean girls right there so clears outdoors trying to catch her catch her air because it's so stinky in there with all the oranges and the sweaty people who can't take off all their clothes and um raise your hand if you're sure <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's such nasty and um we get the finance minister, the minister of finance. Yeah, and like, what are we doing here? What do you mean, what are we doing here? He's drunk. We went, okay, we went from PTSD, sex scenes, all this stuff, and then we get a poop scene with the king. And then we get a weird, drunk. forced, drunk, like fondling, yep. putting, motorboating, like, what? A, what? Well, Jamie with one arm, because mind you, his left hand is really weak, <laughs> just pushes, pushes him into him the water. Over. And I, I saw that. I went, oh, my God. How did you not know he was going to die? Like, y- right. you are How really How far lucky. down was it? Like, did, was there rocks? <laughs> there rocks? My God. <laughs> I saw that and I went, oh, God. And luckily, he just came out and he was like, you know, it's like the water de-drunkified him. Mm-hmm. Loved what happened to his wig. <laughs> that was great. I absolutely it loved like, it. It looked like he was part of Europe, the it band. It was funny. You know, it was funny. <laughs> Once I knew he wasn't dead from being pushed over because I didn't get to see if there were rocks below. I enjoyed that scene just because it was funny how quickly Jamie was there and just pushed, you're done. Okay, now your wig's ugly and we're going to be friends because you play chess. It reminded, I play me, chess. Of, it reminded me of the finance minister of Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> reminded me what I look like when I go to mom date. <laughs> like play dates. Everyone else is like, you know, in their little matching yoga outfit. And again, they, again, this is this is more this is more plot stuff. It's the the friend knows the finance minister, and the the finance minister sees sees Claire with the red dress, and he thinks that oh, I can take advantage of her, and, and but she, she says knew everyone. This, I know, knew everyone. I know, I know, but it just puts you it puts you in the like it again going from A to B, from B to C. How do we get these all these people together? How do we make mm-hmm. it all happen? Well, speaking of a little bit more plot, King comes back in. Thank you for the porridge. Gives Claire a little, hey there, red dress. Notices but, her. But you know what? I'm sorry. You can't notice anybody when you have pierced swan nipples. <laughs> At that least Murtaugh, Murtaugh could not notice Murtaugh anybody. gave a, a, a good reaction. This is a good character moment. He oh just couldn't God. stop looking. Neither and you could know what? anyone. I couldn't could stop looking. Us. No, I know. I know. Good for it. And I'm glad she did the extra little double take. Like, yes. Yeah, that's right. This is what's going on. My boobs are hanging out. However, Murtaugh did get distracted when he saw the Duke of Sandringham. More plot. More plot. I love that he called him Judas. Oh, I, that was great stuff. Yeah. And, he, and you know, I, I love the whole conversation. The, the You know, there's going to come a time when mm-hmm. you're ready. Uh, and, and then even, even Claire kind of dismisses Jamie and Murtaugh mm-hmm. and says, all right, guys, take a hike. I'm going to go speak to him a little bit. Well, what did you, What was your take on that? Listen, Claire is 
can get nasty and mean, and yet she's a woman. Mama Wolf's coming out. Mama, Mama Bear, Mama Wolf totally came out. And remember that Claire had a private conversation with the Duke in last season. Right, right. So I think it was totally fine. I think that the Duke was really uh, putting Jamie down by calling him dear boy. Yeah. Will you ever forgive me? You know, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to want to buy some wine. So I really loved it. I felt like when Claire got to talk with him, the gloves came off. Oh, hell yeah. And and when he said, you are already cultivating people in high places, keeping with your character. (laughs) And then she was like, oh, excuse me. You're here for people who uh, are Jacobites and you're a traitor to the crown. Right. So we get in a little bit of that. We get to keep having the fire between them going on. And then we meet Mr. Alex Randall. Once again, amazing casting because I sat there saying, holy smokes, does he look like Tobias? Right. He looks, it, it's it's a little creepy. It's a little creepy, the resemblance. Totally, totally. Like and it's, it's not like so much where it's like, it's uncanny. Yeah. But it's, it, there's enough there. This is a very different reveal of Alex Randall than compared to the books. In the books, she once again thinks that it's Frank or Blackjack Randall. <laughs> but they obviously couldn't have cast Tobias Menzies as a third person in this series. So I'm glad that they found someone that looked a lot like him. And also, in my opinion, sometimes had some of the mannerisms of Frank. Not BJR, mm-hmm. but a little bit of a Frank demeanor to him. Um, so, of course, Alexander Randall is the new secretary. And through this, we learn that BJR is not dead. Right. Right. And that, again, uh, you know, I'm going to save this for my for my outlandish mm-hmm. theory of the week. So I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. So we asked our friends on Facebook. Oh, wait, wait. Well, oh. But before we do that, yeah. can, we, can I just talk about the weird facial expressions being shared between... Uh, the Duke of Sandringham and Claire. I do not think they were weird. I think they were amazing. No, no, I thought they were. They were like it was so eyes. clunky. It was like it was like they they lingered on this guy's I face and he was it. laughing and his eyebrows and he was like. Ugh. I loved it. You know, I I just I couldn't. It That's was, real life. That's a real life nasty person. I had someone do that to me. And then we had the final VO, and the final VO obviously we played it. It's yes. a useful VO, but again, going on the lines of "Show me, don't tell me." You don't need that VO. I feel like the way that they shot it, the way that Claire walks out, she has a distressed face, she sees Jamie, he's laughing, uh, drinking, having a good time, talking with people, and she clearly is struggling. Yeah. Because you know as the viewer, she has learned about about BJR being alive. You can see the struggle within her. You can see the struggle as if, if she's going to tell Jamie. You you don't need any well, of that. You I can disagree. infer that. I disagree because what, of course we all know, okay, this is bad news for Jamie. The part that I did like was where she said, pretty much, is this going to take us off track for the goal that we're even here yeah, for? Yeah, but you can infer all that. I don't know. I feel I like you know. can. I, I feel like you can. I don't know. Well, well, let's get to the listener uh, GBGs. And by the way, we have a brand new sound for the GBG. So this is just for you guys. So the good, bad, goods on Facebook. Good, bad, great. Oh, oh good, bad, great. Thank you. Look, <laughs> I made that up and I can't even do it. Good, bad, great. What do we have on Facebook? Paul Paula Schlepp Frank says, good. I like the humor of Murtaugh in this one. He seems to be... In, uh, keeping Jamie grounded right now more so than Claire who came off very pushy and conniving in this episode. The bad, the ending. I hated the voiceover in the end. Thank you, Paula. We know it's a huge deal that BGR is still alive. Could we not just have cut to her face or look at a horror or the look of horror towards Jamie? A faint 
to the floor, perhaps? Anything would have been better than the waffling decision battle that was the voiceover. It felt completely took away from what should have been a powerful moment. And the great was my compliments go out to the crew this week. The casting for the new characters was spot on. The costuming is incredible, and the sets are divine. I can't say enough good things about the behind-the-scenes labors of love for this episode, and they get all the kudos from me. On Instagram, Deborah0330 said her good was the new characters, especially Mary Hawkins and Louise. Also, Alex Randall's resemblance to BJR is amazing. The <laughs> cast and crew hit it out of the park again. Deborah says her bad was the opening nightmare scene. She felt it was a little over the top, and her great is John Gary Steele's set design. Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. On Twitter, Deborah Hammond says good was Murtaugh, as always. The bad was the return of Sandringham. And great, obviously, was the dress, and that she loves it. Nancy Zappa tweeted, her good was all the new characters. Uh, her bad was Claire acting like Jamie's mom, telling Ooh, him what to do all episode, and one. the great was Sandringham. <laughs> well, my love, are you ready for the Kendra thought of the week? That I am. For those of you who don't know, Kendra is the editor-in-chief of the Cast blog. She is very smart. She is amazing. And please do yourself a favor and make sure you pay attention to what she has to say. So, Kendra, please take it away. Marianne Blake, it's Kendra, and I have some thoughts about this week's episode, episode 202, Not in Scotland Anymore. I was really, really excited about this episode going in. Uh, we meet fantastic new characters in Louise, Mary Hawkins, Master Raymond, Charles Stewart, King Louis XV. That is, we're supposed to meet great characters. Some deliver here, some don't. Louise is amazing. She steals every scene she's in, as is Master Raymond. Mary Hawkins, though, is a cartoon caricature right now. Uh, basically, she resembles a mouse permanently being hunted by an owl. Uh, she's not given anything to work with, and uh, there's really not much to her at this point. I have the same problem with the Bonnie Prince. Um, they oversimplified his character in trying to make him uh, into a foppish villain, and he is a caricature at this point. Louis was great at grunting, I guess, but the exchange about the parrotch, parrotch, however you say it, was just painfully clunky. That dialogue there, oh my god. Uh, there were some fantastic moments here, however. Uh, the treatment of Jamie's PS PTSD finally feels spot on. Though his trauma is mentioned in the books going forward, it constantly pauses to hit the back burner so that Claire and Jamie can have sex, unfettered by pesky hangups. This is a much more honest portrayal here. If P PTSD is going to show up anywhere after this kind of trauma, it's going to pop up and ruin your intimate relationships. The honeypot scene works here because Claire's motive has changed. In the book, she's proving her independence and in daring uh, Jamie to allow her to continue spending her days under the influence of Louise. Here, she's trying to find something, anything to draw Jamie back into intimacy. The scene says a lot. Uh, it says how much Claire misses the intimacy that she shared with Jamie prior to Wentworth, how long they've likely been having this struggle, and also how hard Jamie is trying to fight through the trauma to bridge the divide back to Claire. In the book, he's appalled at the waxing, and it was just her legs and arms. She used the threat of a bikini wax as a form of manipulation. 
In the context of the show, Jamie knows Claire is trying. So regardless of his initial feelings of the strange or unnatural, he accepts her not only the way she is, but, and this is really important, he accepts her the way she has chosen to present herself to him. Some of the arguments I've heard against the scene in the show are that Jamie proves his love to her uh, in the book by rejecting the artifice of hairlessness, which I'm calling shenanigans on. It's not all that different than a modern woman getting a haircut without asking for permission. Sure, you may have an opinion, but it's her hair. Throwing her out of bed because it doesn't represent her truest natural state doesn't prove you love her. As it stands, the scene succeeds in being sexy, funny, sweet, and ultimately heartbreaking. Overall, however, I was extremely disappointed with this episode, especially given the high hopes that I had. The dialogue was straight-up clunky, and I think the main reason for that is that they were trying very hard for laughs. Um, they know we want more Murta, so they've started uh, subverting his character in an attempt to turn him into the comic relief. In all fairness, they didn't have a lot of structure to go on based on the text, as Book Murta is typically described as a stern little rat of a man. However, lines like Lard Bucket and Big Head aren't doing him any favors. It's just not that funny, which is worse than not attempting humor at all. It's also a bit hard to swallow that they would be discussing the possible uh, assassination of Bonnie Prince Charlie out in broad daylight. The brothel scene was too long. Uh, though it was fun, it felt shoehorned into an already packed episode. My main problem with many of the new characters is that they, they just weren't given room to breathe. What I think we may be encountering is a pacing problem. We simply may not have enough episodes to tell this story, which is why the writers seem to be front-loading so much into these initial episodes. We had genuine moments of comedy with the Louise waxing scene, and she chews so much scenery here that she nearly runs away with the entire episode, uh, as well as Jamie chucking DeVornay into the pond and the resultant Amadeus wig. That was hilarious. Uh, overall, though, the moment which truly shines, uh, all of the moments which really shine here, are the ones where we focus on Claire and Jamie's desperate attempt to reach each other over the chasm of his brokenness. Uh, next week, I'm hoping that we get a little bit uh, more room to breathe, and I'm looking forward to uh, some more interesting characters that uh, we're meeting, uh, and I am interested to hear you guys' take on this episode. Um, from what I gather in social media land, it was a bit divisive, so thanks, guys! Thank you, Kendra, as always. I really appreciate it. But now it is time for the world-famous... I mean, like, this is historical precedent, mm -hmm. outlandish theory of the week. want to let you know that this outlandish theory of the week is brought to you by Ackroyd's Scottish Bakery. For over 60 years, Ackroyd's Scottish Bakery has been making traditional Scottish baked goods with contemporary flair. And throughout the second season of Outlander, they are going to offer a special menu of Outlander-inspired delicacies they ship throughout the u.s so check them out at Ackroyd's bakery that is a-c-k-r-o-y-d-s bakery.com for more info and tell them that mary and blake sent you and use the coupon code outlanda to get five percent off of your purchase i'm hungry 
I'm hungry too. Actually, I've seen the meat pie that they've that they've come out with now. Uh, that's Outlander inspired. It's phenomenal. We should not do this at dinner time. No, we should not. Because <laughs> we're actually recording this at seven twelve p.m. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry now. All, all I want to do is all eat. Right. What is your outlandish theory? All right, so I've let this one marinate a little bit. Um, <laughs> Got another food word. I know. <laughs> this is what we get for recording at dinner time. Um, I, I, technically, I have two, uh, but. But the first one I have is that not because we have seen Alex Randall and because we now have been given the, the, the note and the fact that dueling is outlawed in Scotland and that Alex Randall is going to tell Blackjack Randall that, hey, there's this lady, Claire Fraser, that she's in, she's in France and we know that he's alive. Blackjack Randall is going to France and there's going to be a duel between BJR and Jamie for some reason, hmm. for some sort. There's going to be a duel. And uh, they kind of they kind of they kind of let their cards loose on this one a little bit. And um, and, I, and I've been working I've been working on another theory and I, I'm actually kind of proud of this one. OK. We talked about the first episode and the fact that the 40s is the present time like we think that the that the 40s like claire goes back to the 40s and that is the latest thing that she does mm -hmm. if the writers had the balls if the writers had the balls this is what they would do they would make the 40s actually a flashback instead of thinking that the 40s is the current timeline they want they should make it like Scotland, I mean sorry, France is the current timeline. And that what and that they it's kind of like lost. Um, you know, uh hold on. You're a wizard, Harry. Spoiler alert when Jack says, "Oh no, that's wizard Harry." Sorry. We have to go back, Kate. When <laughs> when Jack says we have to go back, Kate. For those of you who have watched Lost, you understand that. It was one of those shows where they were showing you something and you didn't even realize what they were showing you until you heard this. We have to go back, Kate. Same thing I think is going to happen with Outlander. You're you're going to realize that France is the current timeline and that the 40s is a flashback for Claire. And the reason why and the way that it works is because remember in The Devil's Mark when she goes away and she says, I'm going to go back to Frank and she, I'm going to go touch the stones and Jamie waits there for her. I always feel like she did go back to the 40s. She went then. And then she realized, my life sucks. Maybe she was learning more about the Jacobite Rebellion. Maybe she made a choice, but she chose to come back. So what we're seeing in the 40s is the time that she left in the Devil's Mark, and then she came back, and now we're back to current time. Interesting theories, my non-book reading husband. So that's what I feel like is happening, but I I'm not convinced of that yet, I, and that's like a half-baked theory. But the one I'm definitely convinced of is the Blackjack Randall duel one. I'm like I'm totally involved in that. And are you are you going to give me an hmm, interesting? Or I'm not even going to give you that. <laughs> I'm just looking at the doodle that I was doodling while you were talking, so that I wouldn't give anything away. So if I didn't make any sense in my on that on that second theory, please let me know, and I will I will describe it again in the listener feedback. Episode you didn't really, up. but it's all good. Oh, whatever. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Please hang up and try again. 
What are your final thoughts? I think you just gave them. Final thoughts. Um, Again, I thought this episode was good. It's a setup episode. It's setting the table. I'm willing to accept that. But it was just too plot driven. There are too many. There are too many coincidences. There are too many things happening that are outside of the viewer's knowledge, and that they're just they're thrown on you. There are too many characters. There are too many plot lines. You're you're you have no investment in any of these people except for Claire and Jamie, mm. and that is that. And that that's all you care about. And, but I but I loved the Murtaugh stuff. I loved oh, the Murtaugh. I, I, loved, I loved so much about this episode. And to me, it was like when I take a podcast that I really, really like to listen to, but I don't have enough time since it's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I put it on one and a half speed. <laughs> and people sound like this when they're talking, but I can still hear everything that they're saying. And it's really quick. But you know what? I eventually get used to it. I just kind of figure, whatever, I'm ingesting the content. <laughs> I like that transition you You're, just made there. I, thank you. I practice at micromachine school. Um <laughs> <laughs> it, I was. I know why they're doing this. I yep. know why they had to do it things fast. As yep. a book reader, I already have everything that I need about these people. I'm sorry that you show watchers didn't get to have all this other stuff, yep. but it's really okay. You're getting what you need. You're getting the important bits. It's kind of like you got the Cliff Notes version of everyone you needed to know for right. the last 11 episodes. And what makes me more comfortable with about it no, is knowing that Ira Stephen Bear is the one who wrote this episode. Yes. And if it took his talent to write this episode, and it still was the way that it was, for me, it's a 3.7. If he didn't write this, if this was left to somebody else, mm-hmm. I mean, God, what would it have been then, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, that is more, that's not an indictment on the other writers. It's more of a, holy crap, th- that's a huge amount of confidence in yes. Ira, Ira Bear, right? That's what it feels like to mm-hmm. me. You ready to close out the show, kiddo? I am. All right, let's do it. So as we close out, we wanted to remind you that this episode of Outlander Cast is brought to you by the OutlanderExperience.com. Come take an intimate tour of Scotland with Jeff Robertson, the owner of the Outlander Experience, embark on a fully planned, fully escorted 10-day luxury tour where you can retrace Jamie and Claire's romance. Visit quaint Scottish villages, magnificent castles, state historic inns, and explore the major sites where Outlander Season 1 was filmed. Visit Jeff at www.theoutlanderexperience.com to book the trip you've always wanted but never knew you actually needed to get the Outlander Experience. Tell them that Mary and Blake sent you theoutlanderexperience.com where the Scottish past is alive, but the story will take your breath away. We want to keep this conversation going. This week, we are going to have another listener feedback episode. So get in those thoughts. Keep writing to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handles are all the same. It's OutlanderCast. You can also reach out to us at OutlanderCast.com and leave your comments there. Check out all of our previous episodes, including that interview with Iris Stephen Bear. And while you're on our website... You can make a donation through Patreon. It's how we keep this podcast free. And you can also find our hotline number so your voice can be <laughs> featured just like Kendra's was today. That's right. And you can call 503-454-6730. And be sure to get all that listener feedback by Wednesday. Like we're recording this on Sunday. It will be it, it'll be out Sunday night, maybe Monday morning. Get everything to us by Wednesday evening, I'd say 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, please also if the social media isn't enough for you please visit us and email us at outlandercast at gmail.com and if you still don't have enough <laughs> you can actually speak to us uh, Mary and I personally and all of the writers 
from the Outlander Cast blog at the our Facebook group that was newly created by Mary, my genius of a wife. We can all interact personally on Facebook at the Outlander Cast Gathering Facebook group. One of the big things, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, is getting in your feedback on iTunes and Stitcher. So you're going to head on over and leave us a rating and review and then shoot us an email at outlandercast at gmail.com telling us your screen name and your address. I really want to thank Virginia Dakova, Lisa Listening, and Beyond the Wall ND for writing some recent reviews. Um, we have one that one from Lisa. She said, I love listening to your podcast during the week while I wait for more Outlander. Hmm. My friend's don't watch Outlander or listen to podcasts. So thank you for talking about it for me because I am listening. Last summer, I found y'all during Droughtlander <laughs> and enjoyed season one review, all your interviews, and of course, the leftover seasons one and two. Hey Can't oh. wait for more. So thank you very much. Those of you who have written in recent reviews, shoot us an email because you're going to get a special little thank you card from me. That is right. I, I, I Can I can I write a review and get, get a card from you? <laughs> I'll leave you a post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. And you know, one other thing I want you to do too, please, uh, and I know we're laying a lot on you, but please, if we're a good enough companion for you for the television show Outlander, please tell a friend that we exist. Do it on Twitter. Do it on Facebook. Do it in your cubicle. Do it on the on the road on your run. Do it if you're driving down the street. Honk your horn and shout it to the shout it to the world that Outlander cast exists because we need the promotion. The show Outlander needs the promotion. It would be fantastic if you could do that for us. Until next time, ladies and gents, I'm Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And you've been listening to Outlander Cast. Nice arpeggio. You like that, huh? That was it was almost like it was timed. It was. You know, I'm a professional. That that's what it is. This is why we're Marconi winning. This is why we're we're Emmy nominated, Oscar winning. You know, Tony, Tony winning, I think, too. Well, you got to wrap it up there, Tony Award winner, because our babysitter's <laughs> going to be done in I two think, minutes. I think we got a BAFTA in there, too. I'll take a BAFTA. Why not, right? Golden Globe? Sure. Yeah, why not? I'll take that. Bye, guys. <laughs>